college pastor here at FBC, and so this is one of the most special mornings of the year for me, uh, one of the most special Sundays. And so we are still FBC, of course. We are um, a community helping all people discover faith in Jesus Christ and to grow in love for God and for others and become ambassadors of hope by the power of the Spirit. But this morning, we're going to do things a little bit differently. And so if you're new, this is the first time here. This is uh, not usually how we do things. Uh, and we're really, really excited about what this morning brings. This is Senior Sunday for us. Yeah, it's very exciting. Yeah, Doug Reese, thank you very much. Yeah. And what that means is that uh, you're going to see a lot of students coming up here uh, to speak in front of the microphone, and we as a church are going to put our hands together, and we are going to culminate our prayers, and we are going to hoop and holler a little bit to celebrate these seniors. And, you know, this is a bittersweet morning. It is, is very sweet because these students are wonderful, and what they've accomplished is extraordinary, and they ought to be celebrated before, um, before this morning is done. Um, but it's bitter, too, that some of these people, their, their time at FBC will be coming to a close soon. And, uh, and they, again, deserve to be celebrated before they go. And I'm excited about this. At FBC, one thing we like to do is we like to preach the scriptures. And there's a long history of dedicated and skilled teachers of the word. And one Sunday, uh, mostly every year, we turn that honored chair over to, uh, to a student, to usually a student in college life who has uh, some gifts and some eagerness um, to, to talk about God and talk about his story through the scriptures. And this morning, you all have the pleasure of sitting under the teaching of Zachary Turley. And let me just stay right there for a second. Yeah, let me just, uh, let me just tell you a little bit about Zach. You heard that he majored in chemical engineering and a long, hard degree. But if you, if you get to sit down with Zach and talk with him, he'll probably tell you about his unofficial minor, which was becoming complete and equipped. And becoming complete and equipped, of course, is the protein of the College Life mission statement, that we want all students um, to become complete and equipped agents of King Jesus. And uh, what we could do is, is just have sort of a cutout of Zach and say, we kind of want all our students to sort of look like Zach at the end of this, at the end of this time. Um, Zach is, of course, kind to the core. He is a culture maker. He can't, he can't put this on a resume, but I think he was responsible for 85 to 95% of all college life inside jokes for the past five or six years. And uh, he's an eager learner. He's humble and he's gracious and he's wickedly funny. Um, and Zach has served in this church in a myriad of different ways. He's got his hands in almost every part of this church. He's served in Lighthouse. He is currently on the FBC Kids team teaching regularly. He is a hero to my son, Mason. And, and of course, he's been an institution in college life. He's served as an MC. He's been a growth group leader. He's been sort of leader emeritus and Tuesday night speaker. The list could go on and on. There's nothing in college life he has not touched um, with, his, with his skill and his, uh, his wisdom and grace. And because he's been a leader for so long, he and I were realizing that for the last four years, we have had basically a standing every other week, hour and a half appointment together uh, through these leadership pods. And so Zach has become just a part of my life. And so in a sense, I couldn't be prouder to have him up here, sort of finally speaking from the big boy pulpit. But in another way, I grieve knowing that him being up here is a sign of our uh, last four years will, it will be changing um, after he graduates. And, and I grieve that. But if you haven't had the pleasure and the privilege of getting to know Zach Turley or just witnessing um, just sort of the special man that he is and is becoming, um, it is my honor to introduce him to speak with us this uh, morning. Uh, so I'd love for you to give him a round of applause. Thank you. 
Thank you, Peter. That was very kind. Um, long time no see. I'm here to start a war. Have you heard of the dress? I'm talking about the single most controversial thing in 2015. Trust me, it was. Daughter was against mother, friend was against friend, wife against husband, and husband against wife, of course. It was complete and utter chaos. And for what? A teensy tiny question. What color is the dress? White and gold or blue and black? You might be thinking right now, it's definitely blue and black. Come on now. Or you might be thinking, no, no, Zach, it's definitely white and gold. I can see that with my eyes. Thank you very much. Well, I'm sorry to tell you, team white and gold, you're wrong. The dress is black and blue. Science says so. Apparently it has to do with lighting and other sciencey stuff. But what I'm interested in this morning, what those few crazy days on social media showed us, it really did seem like there were two right answers. The dress was somehow both. There was one dress that seemingly had two radically different interpretations. But then when you really look at it, it turns out, There are two answers here, but only one is right. There are two perceptions of what is true, but only one can claim to be reality. This morning, we are going to be looking at a passage in Revelation that does something similar. It presents two different compelling options, two competing narratives, two answers to the question, where does security come from? Let's take a look at the passage in Revelation 3, 14 through 22. It's Jesus' words to the church of Laodicea. In this section of Revelation, the risen Lord Jesus is telling John to write down seven letters to the seven churches. And this morning, we'll be looking at one of these letters. Let's read. Words of the Amen, faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. And white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him. And he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. All right. Now, I was an engineer in college for six years. (laughs) Yeah, you heard me right. Six years. That means just playing the odds, I interned in Stanford's garage sorting sand. And what that training taught me was, follow the water. 
So to start to see the first answer to where do you find security, we have to follow the water. But like, why is Jesus suddenly a hydrologist? (laughs) And why is he so interested in water temperature? Hot, cold, lukewarm, who cares? (laughs) Sounds kind of random, but it's not. You see, Laodicea held a unique geographical position. Their city saw lots of traffic and was the banking center of the region. So yeah, you better believe they were rich. And they even had the best med school around that was known for healing eyes. They would have given Harvard a run for their money, for crying out loud. But that's not it. They apparently were quite fashionable. Everyone wanted that Laodicean look because they produced a specific kind of wool that was in those days, and everyone had to have it. But there's one thing that Laodicea did not have. They didn't have good water. Why? Because Laodicea held a unique geographical position. Held a unique geographical position. Their neighbor to the north, Hierapolis, were famous for these amazing hot springs, like the greatest spas in the world. Waters that were known to heal. And because Laodicea was downstream of Hierapolis, that water from those amazing hot springs would flow down to Laodicea. But by the time the hot water from Hierapolis made its way down to Laodicea, it wasn't hot anymore. It was lukewarm. The healing water had lost its ability to heal. But there's even more cool stuff here, so stick with me. Laodicea's other neighbor in Colossae was famous for their, you guessed it, cold waters. And I didn't look it up, but I'm pretty sure refrigerated water wasn't a thing yet. So if you're a weary traveler, you're aiming for Colossae. They had the cold, refreshing waters. But as it flowed between Colossae and Laodicea in the near eastern heat, it warmed. And by the time this cold water made it to Laodicea, it was also, you guessed it, lukewarm and had lost its ability to refresh. So what is Laodicea left with? Two lukewarm water sources that were useless. Water that neither refreshed or healed. They had cash and dope wool, but lacked the most basic substance for life. Jesus said, says to Laodicea in verse 15, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Effectively, he's saying you're just like your water. You don't refresh or heal. You become useless. <laughs> That's kind of harsh, right? <laughs> I mean, why would Jesus even say something like this? But now that we know what the water situation is like in Laodicea, let's look at Jesus' words to them again in a new light. Let's look back at verse 15, or 17. Jesus says, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Wait, did you see the problem here? 
specifically in what the Laodiceans are saying about themselves, I need nothing. Just sit with that for a moment. I need nothing. God, I got this from here. I don't need your help anymore, but I'll let you know when I need you. I need nothing. And what Jesus says here is, no, actually you're wrong. You do need quite a bit. It's actually because you don't think you need anything. You're actually wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. But he doesn't stop there. He doesn't just roast them, drop the mic, and leave. Jesus goes on to say, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Wait a minute. Isn't money, clothing, and eye healing something Laodicea already had? Yes? And no. (laughs) According to the world around them, yeah, they were rich and prosperous. But to Jesus, no. They were lost, lost in their wealth, prestige, power, self-sufficient, in need of nothing. They were lukewarm, unable to see outside their own world, unable to see others. They were just like their water, useless. But Jesus also offers an invitation here. Come buy from me all the things you think you have. Money, clothes, salve to heal your eyes. Come to me for these things. Come to me, rely on me, let me be your security. Not your wealth, med school, or fashion sense. And so we have the two stories here. Where does our security come from? Is it in what we can achieve, what we can buy, our status in the world, like the Laodiceans, who might have said, I'm secure because I live here and that means something. I have these clothes, I can buy this house, etc." Or does our security somehow come from the one offering us what we need if we just open the door? Jesus offers a beautiful picture of what it means to buy from him. He says in verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him, and he with me. He will come in, dwell with us, and have a meal with us. This is an amazing picture, guys. Just imagine that for a moment. The God of the universe is knocking at your door, and you open it. And he simply asks, can I come in and have a meal with you? Would you let him in? Would you say, come on in? Would you say, sorry, I can't tonight. I actually made a meal for myself. Maybe come back when I need something. I need nothing. William Holman Hunt, an artist, depicted the scene with Jesus at the door knocking. It depicts Jesus knocking at the door. His face is not mad or impatient. It's calm. And it looks like he's been there a while. There are weeds covering the door. But the coolest part about this painting is that there is no doorknob on the outside of the door. Which means the door can only be opened from the inside. And isn't this exactly what Jesus is saying to the church in Laodicea? 
Open up. I'm out here. I know you think you don't need anything, but you do. You have a beautiful house in there, really top-of-the-line stuff. And at this particular game, you've played very well. But I'm still out here. I will just keep waiting patiently here until you decide to open up, until you decide you can't do it all alone. Come by from me. Come to me. All right. So what does a difficult-to-pronounce city from the ancient world have to do with us today in the not-ancient world on Senior Sunday out of all days? Well, soon all the seniors will be graduating, and that's extremely exciting. It's something to be celebrated. I mean, if you really let yourself think about it, when you remember all the tests you studied for and worried about and cried over and rejoiced over, all the first days of school... School pictures where we didn't have teeth. School pictures when we went through that phase in middle school. If you really think about all that time, the best hours of most of our days striving for this goal, this is like existentially huge to graduate. To get the diploma, get into our dream school or school, get our dream job or, you know, a job, And these are all great things. And here's where I think the story of Laodicea can be useful for us. Because when we look at our diplomas, when we hold that thing in our hands and hang them on our walls, what story is it telling you? Does it tell you, look at what I was able to accomplish. I worked hard and now I have a piece of paper that gives me security. It's my ticket to college or grad school or the job I want, or the status in this conversation, or that. In other words, is it a symbol of your self-sufficiency? To tell God, now I have what I need. I need nothing. I have my dream job. I need nothing. I got into my dream school. I need nothing. I make lots of money. I need nothing. In the eyes of the world, the diploma correlates to success, riches, power, self-sufficiency, and ultimately security. And that's because it's such a massive achievement. The diploma can tell us a story of self-sufficiency, can tell us that we're smart enough, successful enough, talented enough to create our own world. And just like he told the Laodiceans, if you think that is true, if you really think that dress is white and gold, I have some news for you. Everything you think you've gained is nothing without Jesus. And that self-sufficiency, you may gain quite a bit. You may achieve a lot, but you'll be lukewarm. You won't be healing and you won't be refreshing to a hurting world or to the people around you. But as we have seen in this passage, Jesus tells a very different story. Jesus says in verse 19, be zealous and repent. In other words, turn around. If you think you need nothing, turn around. To me, I have it all. Open the door. My hope for this graduating class is that we are people that don't keep Jesus outside. You know, I started coming to this church in 2017 and have been going to UC Davis for six years. And I feel like I've learned a lot. One thing in particular that I've learned is that community is necessary. 
I didn't believe that my whole life because I really thought I could do it on my own. I was basically living as a Laodicean. And I truly thought, I need nothing. The door of my heart was closed to others and closed to Jesus. And as much as I thought I knew him, I didn't. It wasn't until I came to College Life and FBC that I got to know him. And it was through the people of the church, opening up the door of their homes to me, making dinner for me, sharing their lives with me, being vulnerable with me. It made me realize something. I do need others. For those that are graduating high school and headed to college, regardless of where you are going and what you study, get plugged into a Jesus-centered community that is refreshing and healing. This is more important than any other classes or clubs you join. And as soon as you get to campus, just start looking. And for those that are graduating college, going to what people over 25 condescendingly call the real world, Be intentional about those you surround yourselves with. Find people who are refreshing and healing and who can help you become refreshing and healing to others. Follow the water. Church, you told me the Jesus story here. You refreshed me. You healed me. You showed me a different way. You showed me how to open up the door of my heart to others, to love the stranger and the outcast, and to invite them into my home. And in a similar way, I to invite Jesus in. And for that, I'm extremely grateful. You, church, have lived the life Jesus is calling Laodicea to. And I hope all of us seniors can love others the way you have loved us through the years. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for being patient with us, for loving us when we don't see you, or worse, when we think we need nothing. Change our hearts. Guide us to be people who repent when we believe that we need nothing. Guide us to open the door so that you can come in and dine with us. Amen. Before we go, we're approaching the end of our service. I want to tell you a little bit about what's happening at FBC. Um, you know, in the book of Acts, uh, in chapter 2, they, we, they, the, Luke is telling us about what the early church is all about. And one of the four things he mentions is that they break bread together. This is what it means to be the people of God, is to break bread together. And so we have a chance next week to do just that. We are going to have a potluck after the service. And so if you want to uh, bring some food, do that. And you can bring it to the fellowship hall. We'll get it all sorted out. There'll be some food for us afterward. We get to eat together, laugh together, um, talk together, share life together. And, and if you could, too, also bring um, some plates. We don't want to create tons and tons of trash for this. So you could bring some, um, some serving dishes and something to eat on, too. It would be great. Uh, we'll have stuff if you don't. Um, but we hope that we will be able to dine next week together. And the second thing is this. You know, um, we say every single week that one thing that FBC tries to do is we try to grow in love for God and for others. And sometimes the word love in our culture can feel kind of thin because we tend to equate it to a feeling or, or some, something that's purely emotional. Biblical love is not. It is, it's practical and it is action and it's love in motion. And so we have a chance to, to do that, to choose to bring goodness and joy and, and peace 
into someone's life in a very real way. And so what we're going to do is we're going to do that through yard work. You know, we have people in our church who are shut-ins. They can't uh, come to church with us. They can't really do much outside. Uh, or people who are just going through a hard time, widows in our church, people who just who are, who are having a hard time. And sometimes the growing hedges and the weeds outside are just one more thing for um, an already too full mental and physical load. And so we're looking for people to put some gloves on and get some tools out and just kind of do some yard work for people in our community that, that really are needing it. And so you will get a chance to be outside, get a little tan on, and do some practical love in someone's life. And so if you're interested in being one of those people who's going to do the yard work, um, go to the Connect table. You'll figure out how to get signed up and where you'll go. Um, and I think that that is it from me. So I'm going to bring up the big kahuna, Steve Luxa, to close out our service. Yeah, that's my title, Big Kahuna. Sure. <laughs> Uh, but just a word to you seniors, we are thrilled. I am thrilled to see how God has been working in your life over these years uh, to, to grow you into the kind of people that you have become. And we're excited to see where God takes you, what God does in and through you. We, we, so you guys got to drop us a line and let us know how it goes, okay? Deal? All right. But we, it has been fun to see you kind of incubate here within these waters of faith, love, and hope that we really have tried to be a church that is about Jesus that would grow in faith, love, and hope. And it's fun to see you guys seep in those waters. And I'm excited to see you go and take those waters out with you, okay? Now, usually what we do at the end of the service is we do a benediction. A benediction is merely just calling on God to bring his favor on people. That's all a benediction is. And so it's not a prayer as much as it is a will and a wish of what we want God to do in the lives of other people. So we do that every week. And usually we stand up here and we pray and ask God to bring his favor on you in a very particular way that usually is tied with the message or what we want to do in the coming week. But here's the deal. Here's our chance to actually do this for these graduates, okay? I want you to join me in giving them a benediction this morning. And we're going to use words that are very ancient words. It's the first benediction that God actually gave to his people. These are ancient words that are so ancient that we have archaeological artifacts that these are the, some of the earliest words that were carved into Israelite stone and clay. It's words from Numbers chapter 26. And so church, would you guys stand up? Graduates, stand up. And usually when we do a benediction, we put our hand out because it's kind of like saying, God, we want you to come, right? And so put your hands out towards these graduates. Graduates, receive this benediction from us and let's read together, shall we? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And everyone gathered said, Amen. And there is cake in the courtyard because what graduation would not be complete without cake? So we'll see you next week and have some cake.